It's good to see you here. I'm glad to be here as well. Um, <clears throat> if I would not be speaking, I would enjoy this more probably. But I'm a little nervous, so um, that's normal. And uh, I, I pray and I'm uh, looking forward to sharing the message um, or introducing the topic that we will be studying for the next uh, few months. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. And in those few months, we're not going to cover the whole thing. We're just going to look at, at pieces. We're going to look at those things. I think you can take a year, if not more, to study these three chapters. Sermon on the Mount, as you know, consists of three chapters, five, six, and seven. One of the main reasons I remember this as a sermon, that it's a one piece, that it's, it's something together, they go together, is because Pyotr Maisevich, you guys know who Pyotr Maisevich is? We all do. Used to remind us before every communion, he would say, read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, why? It's like unrelated to, the, to communion. It's like there's nothing about communion, right? Nothing about the bread, the, the blood, and the, uh, the bread and the wine. And, and that's not a typical passage. But I actually took his advice and started reading through those chapters. I can say every month or every time. Um, but I understood. I understood why he was saying that. Um, and hopefully, over these three, three months, we all are going to understand why Jesus spoke this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. But before we get there, um, hopefully we thank you very much, um, our slideshow operators. Um, we will, I'll give you guys a little riddle. You guys ready? You have your uh, sharp minds on. <laughs> and people say that this riddle is actually harder to solve for people that have above average education. It's easier for people that are like in second grade. Um, so see, let's see how fast you guys can figure this out, okay? Okay, one request. If you guys know the answer right away, please don't say it. <laughs> Don't ruin it for everybody else, okay? All right, you guys ready? All right, so here we go. The riddle goes um, like this. And if the clicker is going to cooperate with me, we will uh, have the next slide. Is it my clicker? Is it in? Or looks like it's on. Okay. All right, so here's the riddle. What is greater than God and more evil than the devil? The poor have it, the rich need it. And if you eat it, you will die. So if you know the riddle, raise your hand. If you know the answer, I'm sorry. So some people know the answer, so please do not say it. Um, <clears throat> so obviously those people that raise their hands, they're... they're around second grade right now. Um, joking. Um, don't, so the rule for this riddle is not to overthink it, okay? Not to overthink it. The answer is super simple. Let's look at it again. What 
And if you eat it, you will die. What can you eat that you will die? It's actually a lot of things, right? <laughs> so it's not, not a good way to start this. Okay, the rich need it. What do the rich need? Well, they can need a lot of things. I don't know. They have the money, right? And they can need a lot of things. The poor have it. What do the poor have? Not a lot, right? Okay. Uh, what's even more evil than the devil? I don't know. It's tough. This is the answer right here. What is greater than God? What is greater than God? Very simple. Slavic? Nothing. So this is the answer of the riddle. Nothing. Do you see how that applies to the rest of them? <laughs> Nothing is greater than God. Nothing is more than the evil than the devil. The poor have nothing. The rich need, the rich need nothing. And if you eat nothing, you will die, right? Uh, makes sense. I thought that was uh, pretty cool. I couldn't solve it, honestly. <laughs> I couldn't solve it. Uh, those of you who cheated on the internet, uh, on Google, <clears throat> um, we're not going to have a, any, any punishment for you, but um, you can use it in your uh, small groups or somewhere else. The reason for nothing is because before the Sermon on the Mount, there was a great nothing. You know why? Because the last, if you have your Bibles, do you have your Bibles? Can you raise your Bibles, please? Uh, open it where it splits in two. So that would be right before Matthew 1. And um, on the page that says New Testament, what's right before that? Malachi, well, it's in Malachi 4, right? Malachi is the last prophet before we hit the New Testament. And that's for a good reason, uh, because from the time of Malachi, of his prophecies, to the times of Jesus, we have 400 years of nothing. 400 years of silence by God, not speaking to his people. The prophecy in Malachi is pretty, um, can be uh, described as strict to his people. He reminds them um, of the covenant. He encourages them to walk in the covenant and in the law, and then silence. And then nothing for 400 years. So this is the setting, this is the preface before the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. But before the Messiah is actually coming, um, <clears throat> God promised that there will be uh, someone coming, a messenger coming. Um, Victor, if you, can, uh, if you can help me click it, um, that'd be great. And in Malachi 3, 1, 2, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Interesting. 
God tells people about the Messiah, tells people about his coming, but he says he will not be the Messiah or coming the way you expect him to come. Although the people still didn't get it. The people of Israel, the promised people, still awaited someone who they drew in their minds as a powerful liberator, as a powerful king, and we'll get, we'll get into it a little bit further. But before the Messiah, there was supposed to be a messenger. There was supposed to be, as it called, as the prophet called it, uh, called him, the voice, a voice in the wilderness. His name is John the Baptist. And what was John's message? John's message was very simple. Uh, his um, <clears throat> repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, his mission was to prepare the way for the Lord. And it says here that uh, in Isaiah 43, continuing that same message, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What is he talking about? Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Well, the meaning of this text in the original actually made sense to the people that Jesus, or that the prophecy was spoken to, because they understood something. They understood that when a king is coming, when there's an expectation of this procession of royalty, there was a messenger going before that saying, fix the road. The king is coming. Make things leveled, straight, because the roads were not something like we have here, right? Where you can, um, you can just glide on your skateboard down from Mount Rainier all the way down to the, you know, to the base. Um, it's so nice. It's leveled. It's, it's beautiful. By the way, America has one of the greatest road system in the world uh, and the biggest one as well. So um, everything in America is the biggest. So, <laughs> um, But prepare the way for the king was very something that they understood. So the messenger would go out not in advance, not, uh, but right before the king. Maybe a day before the king. Maybe two days, I don't know, maybe a week. And he would say, make the path straight because the king is coming. So when John came, he was, <clears throat> in Russian, he was a forerunner, a messenger before the Messiah. And for some reason he was called a voice, a voice in the wilderness. What we know about John the Baptist? Uh, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I was trying to find, uh, I wanted to find a picture of, of something. But what we know about John the Baptist is that uh, a few things. He was a cousin of Jesus, first. He apparently enjoyed roaming the wilderness of Judah. Are you guys familiar with wilderness of Judah? <laughs> If you're not, if you take a trip to Israel, I personally was able to, uh, 
to, to be there and to um, <clears throat> get to the side of the wilderness, uh, probably a couple hundred feet from our hotel. That's as far as I would wanted to go into the wilderness. <laughs> it was really hot, uh, very much dry, uh, all rock, and no signs of life. Uh, so that's the setting for this messenger. Uh, not a very popular place to start building a new church, right? Or, you know, start gathering followings. I mean, most of the following would be um, some sheep and, um, you know, mountain goats or something. But that's literally where John started his message, like the voice in the wilderness. He was not going to popular clubs of Jerusalem. He was not going to the hangout places of Galilee. He was not where the crowds were. He was the voice in the wilderness. Very strange. I don't understand it. But if we read chapter 4, um, well, let's, let's finish describing John, right? He was wearing a camel's um, hair and leather belt around his waist. Camel, camel's hair. That doesn't sound very comfortable. <laughs> I never rode a camel, but it doesn't sound very comfortable. It doesn't sound something that a royalty would wear for sure even at that time. And his food was locust and wild honey. Imagine going for a dinner with that kind of guy. Um, not very enjoyable. <laughs> not very enjoyable. Very strange individual. What I'm trying to picture here, what I'm trying to draw here, is that this person was standing out of the crowd. He was not fitting in. He was not the kind of guy that the royalty would want to hang out with. And there was nothing attractive in him as a personality-wise. But the message was very powerful. The message that he was carrying, he was literally the voice of God. The voice of messenger that was saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's coming close. That was the message of John. <clears throat> and interestingly enough, then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, in all the district around the Jordan. Amazing. People were just drawn, drawn to John. And what he was doing, he was preaching repentance and he was baptizing people, literally submerging into water, preparing the hearts of people. And you know, as we continue, or as we go on into this series, as we start, begin this series, I think the most important thing that we can do is prepare the way for the Lord. What I mean by that is to remove obstructions. Remove everything that can obstruct for God's message, for God's um, word to reach our heart. Because that was the mission of John, is to return the hearts of people, the hearts of the fathers, to their sons and vice versa. That's what prophet Malachi was um, prophesying. And, and, and my desire, my friends, my desire, brother and sister, is that our hearts will be prepared. You know, especially in the times that we're living. I think Joe mentioned it. I think uh, Andre mentioned it. I think George David Duke did a really great job on Sunday unpacking Psalm 2 and showing us how Bible is so relevant to today's situation, to today's world. And I believe that the message 
that God has for us. That he recorded, Matthew recorded in chapters 5, 6, and 7 is very applicable today for us. But let's pray, let's prepare, let's remove all the obstructions. What kind of obstructions I'm talking about? When on Tuesday you get a call that, you know, people are going hanging out. You're like, no, I have places to be, people to see, um, questions to answer around the table, okay? I'm not going there. I'm going here. You know, remove any obstructions that would obstruct and not let you be here on Tuesdays because this is where God will be speaking and is speaking, I believe that, uh, with my heart. John was preparing the way for the Messiah. Messiah was long awaited. The concept of Messiah was always through all generations. Since Moses, Moses spoke of the Messiah, of the prophet to come, and you should listen to him. Any soul that would not listen to him will die. So people of Israel knew that there will be someone great coming. They just didn't know when exactly. And especially at the time of Roman oppression, you can imagine what it was like to be uh, a Judean, living in Judea when you have soldiers, Roman soldiers, roaming through your cities, um, <clears throat> um, just doing whatever they, they wished they wanted to do, um, and totally dominating Judea, totally dominating the will of people. Uh, people were restricted in their movement, in what they could do, what they could not do. Um, <clears throat> we're not talking about um, recreational stuff. We're talking about basic life. Uh, people were struggling. They were crying out, Lord, send the Messiah. And on top of that, they, were, um, they knew exactly what was happening at the temple, um, at the White House, if you will. The corruption, um, the, real, the, the, the oppression and the religious corruption and the spiritually bankrupt Pharisees um, at that time and, 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 and their teachers. People were aware of what was going on um, at the main temple in Jerusalem. And this was the time, the setting around the coming of Jesus. Although everyone expected the Messiah, they had certain expectation of him, you know? Like a new president coming into the office, everyone expects something. And everybody has their hopes. And everyone has their image of this Messiah or Redeemer, what he will bring. <clears throat> John, John's mission was to prepare people so people would humble themselves to actually receive the Messiah in the light that he was coming. People expected someone great arriving on a horse, bringing with him influence and power and freedom. Jesus came without the horse. He humbly was baptized by John, taken into the wilderness, as we read in chapter 4, and tested in the wilderness um, for 40 days. Coming into the synagogue and started teaching. That's not the Messiah that people expected. That's not the Messiah that they were taught about. But nevertheless, this was the manner that God decides to reveal himself to humanity. And I think it's beautiful. Because 
what chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount represents is a totally flipped value system. If you see something that is valuable today in the world, Jesus takes it and he flips it. And he said, this is, you think this is important, but I say this. And how is all this applicable to us today? If we uh, can have the next slide, we will read from Isaiah 46 through 8. And this is the same passage that describes the messenger or John and his coming. And it says, call out. And he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. And as we wrap up, I just want to say something. You know, we're entering the world every day. We are in contact with our culture daily. And the conversations that we start, they can lead to to the pain of people. They can lead to something that is raw, something that is um, seriously bothering people, especially in the time of year 2020 when people are enraged, when people are full of anger. People are, are, are looking for an outlet. They, they're looking for someone to blame. They're looking for um, answers. And we are looking for answers. I'll be honest with you. I am looking for answers. After the events of last week, I found myself looking for answers. What's now? What do we do? Where do we go from this point? What awaits us tomorrow? Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to deviate from the message a little bit and tell you that I don't go to popular sites to listen to, to, uh, to watch the news uh, just because it's saturated with um, a lot of information that I don't need. Uh, I use a filter. <clears throat> I use a filter for my news. And I let somebody read the news and then give me uh, just concise information um, with a Christian worldview perspective um, just in, in about 30 minutes. I will make this recommendation. I know uh, Andre Bobbin uh, knows the source. Um, the name of the person that you can listen to, uh, it's a daily broadcast, it's a daily podcast. His name is Albert, Albert Muller. Uh, you can find him in the, Apple, uh, in the, in the App Store, um, his broadcast, or in the podcast. Um, I'm sure it's on Android as well. Um, and he basically digest the news and gives you just uh, what you need. If you are really into news, if you really want to know and stay up to date, I would recommend listening this way versus any other way. That's deviation from my scripture. 
from my sermon, but I just wanted to mention that. We're all looking for the answers. And I, am, I was looking for answers. And you know, I believe that God gave me the answer for this year. Do you remember the topic for this year at the New Year's? Raise your hand if you remember what was the topic of our New Year. Okay, one person, two people. And the topic for this, near, uh, for this year, you will hear more about it this Sunday, actually. Uh, that's the topic of our Sunday morning service. But the topic is found in Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is the year that nothing will help you and I. Not your investment, not your... Um, things that you hope for, nothing will help you to stay alive, spiritually speaking, and well, but the Spirit of God. Unless we are on the vine, unless we are connected. You know, last year before, um, before all this started, before, like in the middle of COVID, right before the elections, I found myself that I'm <clears throat> worried found myself in some kind of worry. And I realized what the worry was. My worry was to be found or to be outside of God's plan. To be outside of God's purposes in this time. I think the scariest, my friend, listen, listen carefully right now. I think the scariest thing in our time to be is to be outside of God's flock, outside of his church, outside of his will. I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than to be found just roaming this rough seas on your own, trying to paddle your way and find your way towards some kind of rest, an island where you can rest. It is impossible. This is, this is impossible. The only way for us as believers is to be right in the middle of God's will. In this storm, and whatever happens, I don't really care. I don't really care what happens. I have family, I have wife, I have three kids to worry about. But when I, when I, when I started seeking the Lord and, and, and took a fast, such a peace came to my life, to my heart. Because I, I knew that nothing that's going to happen will knock me out out of this place of rest. Out of the place where I am confident that my Lord is my God and He watches over me. And if you, you can say amen right now. My friends... Before us are some exciting times. One of the questions that you had was, um, and I'm going to finish with this um, before I do my conclusion. Uh, one of the questions was about the disciples, the disciples of Jesus. They had to pay the price to follow Jesus, right? Um, they had to pay the price. Little did they know that they, eventually they will have to pay a higher price most, almost all of them died as martyrs. They paid the price of life. They paid their life because they decided to follow Jesus full time. 
Any part-timers here? <laughs> you know, sometimes we feel like following Jesus part-time, and that's what the disciples were doing initially. Actually, in the Gospels, if you read all four Gospels, Jesus called them at least two or three times to follow them. They followed him part-time, and they were fishing. And then they f followed them, and then they were going back to fishing. And, and, and then at some point, Jesus says, this is it. I'm going to make you the fishers of men. Follow me now. And it says that they left everything and followed him. Following Jesus full-time is costly. But at the same time, it is the only way. It is the only way, as I see it, um, to a meaningful life, to a life of peace, to a life of, um, <clears throat> to a life that is is full of blessing, full of uh, reward, and full of meaning. The chapters five, six, and seven cover the true blessing, the Christian's role in the world. Jesus is teaching. Um, on, on the law, justice, divorce, relationships, sin, care for the needy, prayer, forgiveness, fasting, investment, judging other people. Those are just some of the topics that Jesus addresses in his Sermon on the Mount. I think those are exciting. I think those are all relevant today. And we will be uh, looking at them. In a way, sitting down at Jesus' feet and, and listening to him speaking to us as he spoke 2,000 years ago to those people on the mount. And one most important thing to remember is prepare the way for the king. Prepare our hearts. Amen? Are you excited? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's um, say a short prayer.